Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season, we pick six different movies that fall under one common theme. We give you some insight behind how, when, where, and why each movie was made. And on top of that, and no extra charge to you, the listener, you get a full review of the movie from me, Bo, and my old pal, Chad. This is Season 3, Episode number 1 of our series, Monsters Are Universal. Well, we're taking a look at some of the classic Universal monsters, except in later day forms when maybe they weren't so good. We're going to kick things off with the undead granddaddy of them all, Dracula. Except this time, that Bram Stoker's Dracula version, what Francis Ford Coppola made. You know, the one with Keanu Reeves in it as Jonathan Harker? But we're going to get into all of that. First, here is my old pal Chad to tell you a little bit more about Bram Stoker's Dracula. Adam Sandler, Leslie Nielsen, Peter Fonda, Rutger Hauer, Christopher Lee, George Hamilton, Jack Palance, Frank Langella, Lon Chaney. What do all of these men have in common? Well, they've all portrayed Count Dracula in a feature film. But before any of these actors donned the cape of the world's most infamous vampire, the character of Count Dracula was brought to life on the silver screen by Bela Lugosi in 1931. In the 1920s, Universal Studios had two hits with the 1923 film The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Phantom of the Opera in 1925, both of which starred Lon Chaney. As the appetite for more frightening fare on film flourished, Universal Studios decided to adapt two more horror novels into feature films, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula. The novel Dracula was adapted as the film Nosferatu almost a decade earlier. This version of the movie was done without permission of the author, and Bram Stoker's widow sued the makers of the movie and won, and there was an order that all prints of the film be destroyed. I'm guessing that they were going to be burned in a huge pyre by angry villagers with torches and pitchforks. However, seeing as the movie Nosferatu is still available for viewing, clearly this court order didn't take full effect. But for this go-round, producers working with Universal Studios decided to legally acquire the rights to the novel and make the movie on the up and up. See, leave it to Hollywood producers to keep things above board. These Hollywood producer types, they're always making the rest of us look bad. Now at this time, Dracula had been adapted as a successful Broadway stage production and starred none other than Bela Lugosi. Lugosi, originally from Hungary, had had some small roles on the stage in his native country. Lugosi had to leave Hungary after the country's failed communist revolution in 1919. But Lugosi continued to pursue his acting career. He was cast in some German films after leaving his native land and ultimately made his way to the United States. Lugosi landed the role of Count Dracula in the 1927 stage adaptation of the novel for Broadway. So it seemed like he would be a good choice to take on the role in the film, right? Wrong. Producers of the film adaptation were not really interested in Lugosi as their leading man, despite Lugosi getting some pretty good reviews for his stage performance. Now, multiple actors were considered for this title character, but as it turns out, the touring company of Dracula just happened to be in Los Angeles when the film was being cast. Lugosi eventually won executives over, in part by agreeing to accept 
what is viewed as an almost insultingly low salary of $500 a week or $3,500 total for the seven-week shoot of the film. Those Hollywood producers always letting sound financial responsibility take a higher value over their own egos and personal opinions. We could learn a thing or two from such self-aware, forward-thinking people. Actually, the production of the film Dracula faced some real challenges. It's reported that director Todd Browning, who had had great success during the preceding silent film era, left cinematographer Carl Freund in charge of much of the film's shoot. Much of the movie's special effects were limited, including some pretty cheap-looking bats. Dracula's transformations from man to bat all happen off the screen. And in the end, much of the film's composition and the acting styles in the movie really seem to be holdovers from the previous era of silent films. But any issues behind the camera did not impact audience reaction. Universal's adaptation of Dracula was well-received by audiences, and it turned out to be a huge success for Universal. Universal Studios and a huge success for the film's star. One review of Lugosi's performance said he had created, quote, one of the most unique and powerful roles of the screen. Lugosi's halting speech pattern and his native Hungarian accent created a signature iconic performance that was enhanced by the movie's atmosphere, long silent pauses, and notable lack of music. Later in the same year, Universal released Frankenstein to even greater acclaim, solidifying Universal Studios as the premier horror studio of the 1930s. And they would go on to release The Mummy, The Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman, all within a decade following Dracula's release. Six iconic horror films, all from Universal Studios. Huh, six movies. Wait a minute, I see what we're doing here now. Bella Lugosi's performance as Dracula is, by most accounts, the definitive Dracula performance and has directly or indirectly impacted every interpretation of the character to come after. But Lugosi's performance as Dracula would ultimately serve as a blessing and a curse as the actor found himself typecast as Count Dracula throughout much of the remainder of his career, where he had oftentimes was paired with his silver screen rival, Boris Karloff. Later in his life, Lugosi became addicted to both morphine and methadone, which greatly reduced the number of offers that he had to work, save the opportunities with Ed Wood, most notably Plan 9 from Outer Space. Now, in 1994, Martin Landau portrayed Bela Lugosi in Tim Burton's film, Ed Wood, where Martin Landau went on to win an Academy Award for his portrayal of Bela Lugosi. And if you've never seen Ed Wood, I don't think that you and I can truly be friends. Please go see that movie and drop me a line. I'm sure we would get along great. After the heyday of the monster movies in the 1930s and into the 40s, Dracula wasn't fully resurrected until 1958 when a gothic version of the story starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing as Van Helsing made its way to the silver screen. This version plays a little fast and loose with the source material, but what it lacks in adaptive integrity, it makes up with creepy atmosphere and over-the-top performances. Now, this movie was released in the United States as Horror of Dracula, lest anyone confuse it with the version that came out almost 20 years earlier. Christopher Lee went on to play Count Dracula seven times in major motion pictures. That's one fewer than Daniel Radcliffe played Harry Potter. 
Following this string of blood-sucking flicks, Dracula took on many different forms in many different styles of film. 1957's Blood of Dracula was a teenage version of the Dracula story, and in 1964, Andy Warhol made Batman Dracula, which Warhol made as an homage to the Batman comic book series, but he was not authorized to do so by DC Comics. This movie is as weird as it sounds, only weirder. 1966, Billy the Kid vs. Dracula put the Dark One in the Old West. Now, 1972 gave us Blackula, which was a black exploitation interpretation of Dracula, where an African prince is vampirized by Count Dracula himself. And in 1979, Frank Langella starred as the totally sexed-up rock star version of Count Dracula in John Badham's interpretation of the novel. Langella had starred in the hit Broadway play Dracula, written by Hamilton Dean and John L. Balderston, and thus followed in the footsteps of Bela Lugosi by taking his character from the stage directly to the screen. This version of Dracula was billed as a love story and starred the likes of Laurence Olivier, Donald Pleasance, and Kate Nelligan. Now, the film received positive reviews, but low box office receipts deemed it a disappointment by the studio. That should be noted that six months prior to this version of Dracula being released, the campy vampire comedy Love at First Bite, starring the always tan George Hamilton, came out to much success. In this comedic version, Dracula goes to New York and falls in love with a woman whose fiancé is a descendant of Van Helsing. The success of this movie led George Hamilton to take a follow-up satiric interpretation of another film icon in 1982's Zorro, The Gay Blade, a movie that is coming soon to a future season of Pick 6 Movies. I guarantee that. In the 1980s, Dracula was relegated to bit parts in smaller movies when it came to American cinema. The 1987 kids' adventure, The Monster Squad, which was kind of a The Goonies meets Universal's Monsters with a dash of Holocaust survivors thrown in for confusing measure. This decade also brought a cameo of Dracula and Waxworks, and there were a few other less notable outings as Dracula being the featured focus of the film. It wasn't until 1992 that Count Dracula would return to the big screen, being portrayed by an actor better known at least at that time for portraying a punk rock icon and a presidential assassin. Gary Oldman was born in New Cross, London. Now, his father left the family when he was seven years old, and later in his life, Oldman transitioned his inherent interest in playing the piano to really focusing on his performances for the stage. Oldman studied acting and eventually found steady professional work on the stage, with his continued success including multiple awards across the British theatrical community. His performance as Scopey, the lead role in The Pope's Wedding, was seen by director Alex Cox, who offered Oldman the part of the ill-fated rocker Sid Vicious in the 1986 film Sid and Nancy. It was Oldman's performance in Sid and Nancy that helped open the doors to feature work in Hollywood. In late 1988, he starred alongside Dennis Hopper and Francis McDormand in the 1989 film Chattahoochee. In 1990, he co-starred in the Tom Stoppard adaptation of Stoppard's play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead alongside Tim Roth. Now following this, Oldman teamed up with Ed Harris and Sean Penn in 1990's State of Grace. Oldman was offered the role of Edward Scissorhands but turned it down to now Tim Burton mainstay Johnny Depp. But in 1991, Oldman appeared in his first major blockbuster when he portrayed the mysterious, complicated, and questionably misunderstood presidential assassin Lee Harvey Oswald in Oliver Stone's film JFK. And it was the very next year that he took on the role of the mysterious, complicated, 
and questionably misunderstood Count Dracula in Francis Ford Coppola's interpretation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Francis Ford Coppola was approached by former Beetlejuice fiancé Winona Ryder with a script for the adaptation of Dracula. Ryder, who would eventually go on to play Dracula's love interest, Mina Harker, was originally supposed to be in Coppola's third installment of The Godfather. Supposed to be, but wasn't. Ryder dropped out of the movie just prior to the film's production start date and was replaced by Coppola's own daughter, Sophia. Now, Ryder brought the script for Dracula to Coppola to see if he would be interested in taking on the project. Ryder bought the rights to the script, which was written by James B. Hart, who had written the grown-up Peter Pan fantasy adventure Hook, and he later went on to write Muppet Treasure Island. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Coppola read the script and wanted to explore the more sensual and erotic elements of the story and wanted to make a movie on time and on budget. Now, this is something he wasn't historically known for doing. To accomplish this, Coppola decided to film on sound stages to avoid any weather-related issues. You see, once upon a time, a typhoon shut down the production of Coppola's Apocalypse Now for eight weeks. Typhoons have a way of really screwing things up. Coppola also wanted to showcase classic Hollywood style of filmmaking with limited special effects and showcase costume design as a central focus of the movie's production. His vision was to interpret the original source material and its epistolary style of narrative storytelling through classic original cinematic techniques. In the end, only one contemporary optical effect was used in the movie, with all other effects completed on the set with no post-production effect work. With Winona Ryder cast as the female lead and Gary Oldman as the title character slash misunderstood romantic lead, there were some other key roles yet to be filled. For the role of Jonathan, one of the protagonists in the original novel, there was only one clear choice. Time traveler Ted Theodore Logan of the most excellent band Wild Stallions, a.k.a. Keanu Reeves. Coppola said that he cast Keanu Reeves because of his matinee idol appearance in an attempt to reach a broader audience for the movie. And of course, every misunderstood, blood-sucking anti-hero needs an antagonist, and in this case, it's the one, the only, the priest and principal narrator of the novel, Abraham Van Helsing. And to fill this wooden stake-wielding role would be Hannibal Lecter himself, Sir Anthony Hopkins. It was reported that Liam Neeson wanted the role of Van Helsing, but after Anthony Hopkins showed some interest, Neeson bowed out because the role was taken. The Dread Pirate Roberts, Carrie Elways, and Rocketeer Billy Campbell rounded out the cast, along with the gravelly-voiced crooner Tom Waits, who took on the role of the bug-eating asylum inmate Renfield, which really capped off a pretty impressive lineup of actors. Now, the movie opened November 15, 1992 at the top of the box office, followed by Passenger 57 and A River Runs Through It. However, during its second week, it lost the number one position to Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. You didn't think I was going to say that either, did you? The movie cost about $40 million, and it pulled in a little over $80 million in its domestic release. The film went on to win three Oscars, including Best Costume Design, one for Best Effects and Sound Editing, and another one for Best Makeup. And the movie received overall positive critical reception. 
Opinionated thumb pointer and famed movie critic Roger Ebert said, quote, I enjoyed the movie simply for the way it looked and felt. Production designers Dante Ferretti and Thomas Sanders have outdone themselves. The cinematographer Michael Bauhaus gets into the spirit so completely he always seems to light with shadows. Ebert did note that the movie had, quote, narrative confusions and dead ends. So this was one of those real butterface movie reviews. The greatest criticism of the film was reserved for Keanu Reeves and his inability to pull off a British accent. It has been cited by some as one of the worst accents, if not the worst, in the history of recorded film. Virgin Media journalist Lamara Salt, enlisting the top 10 worst movie accents, said of Keanu Reeves, quote, Keanu Reeves is consistently terrible at delivering any accent apart from California Surfer Dude, but it's his English effort in Dracula that tops the lot. Overly posh and entirely ridiculous, Reeves' performance is as painful as it is hilarious. She also said that Winona Ryder is equally rubbish. But come on, it's a Dracula movie. Can bad accents undermine a movie overall? Can costume design carry a movie where singing and dancing aren't integral to the plot? And can a 90s-era vampire movie really be any good without the sexual ambiguity of an Anne Rice novel? Well, there's just one way to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I bid you welcome to episode 1, 19... Uh, I'm just gonna stop. 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. My name is Chad Cooper. I'm joined here, as always, with my lovely co-host, Bo Ransdell. Yeah, I think you make me sound like Peggy Lee. So we're kicking off this new season, uh, Monsters Are Universal, where we're taking a look at remakes of six of the original Universal monster movies. Look, this is my wheelhouse. When I wake up in the morning, I got horrific things on the brain. When I go to bed at night, I like I go to bed to stories of monsters and serial killers and mayhem. And it, it soothes me. It is. You, you wake up. You eat your Count Chocula or your Frankenberry. Uh-huh. And then I have my diabetes medication. <laughs> There's such a rich history when it comes to Universal Studios and the classic Universal monsters and really understanding um, their origins, uh, their interpretations, their misinterpretations, and, and where other filmmakers have succeeded or failed in their attempts to reimagine or potentially tell a version of the story that historically hadn't been told before. And, and I think that that's what we're really tapping into with this first episode. You know, I'd have to check my math on this, but if memory serves, Dracula is the most filmed character in cinema history. It's either him or Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember which is which. Yeah, it's Sherlock Holmes. Okay. So Dracula has, you know, you mentioned your intro. There are all these uh, spinoff films and, and versions where Dracula just shows up in a movie like Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires or some shit like that. I've seen pretty much all of them. I like I like a good vampire film. I, uh, I still contend that that Lost Boys is kind of a stinker. Uh, although the more time goes by, more people see to come out of the woodwork and be like, you know, that Lost Boys is a really good movie. Um, which you sounds- get back in the woodwork. <laughs> Nobody cares what you think. 
it's not a good movie. No, it's not a good movie. And when you get a little deus ex machina where some grandpa drives a car with a giant wooden spike strapped to the front through a wall to kill vampire keeper Sutherland, no thank you. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I watched What We Do in the Shadows, and that is one of the great vampire films of all time, even though it's a, a comedy documentary. Truly unhysterical film that also gets a lot of the vampire lore right and has a lot of fun with it and and i've always enjoyed uh the the novel dracula i've read that a number of times i'll tell you what i don't like though chad i don't think that the bella lugosi dracula is all that good i think that the far more interesting film if you've never seen it i would recommend it is the sequel to that movie called dracula's daughter that is much more a psychological thriller i i think that the original dracula feels very much like a stage play which is what it came from and i would even say the uh the spanish version which by the way was shot simultaneously with the english version is the better film which is called el dracula i always refer to it in a very racist fashion as (laughs) senior dracula to differentiate between the two because they're both called dracula shot on the same sets as a matter of fact during the day they shot the bella lugosi version And then after that crew wrapped up, they shot the Mexican version that night. That was before they built the wall around the set to keep the cast and crew away from taking American jobs. The the cast and crew was filled with rapists and drug dealers, and I'm sure some were fine people. Our movie starts off, and it's 1462. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. (laughs) And then we get Anthony Hopkins providing voiceover and we learn that constantinople um has fallen to the muslim turks uh, that invaded europe and they started at romania threatening all of christendom i i don't know why they didn't say christianity but they call it christendom that that's an old term right like christendom is all of the so-called christian western countries right isn't that christendom look hey this is america speak american all right <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, vampires. Out of Transylvania comes a Romanian knight from the Sacred Order of the Dragon, or to his friends, Dracula. Mm -hmm. And on the eve of this big battle, his bride, let me see if I can get her name right, Elizabeth. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, I think that's that's as accurate as the English tongue can get. Elizabeth uh, pretty much knows that Dracula's going to die. And in this scene, she's kissing on him like it's like it's like watching two daytime soap opera uh, performers, you know, that are having an affair, um, smooching on each other. There's lots of open mouth kissing and lots of wet nom, 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 but there's no tongue, just a lot of smacking uh, yeah. that's going on. And uh, it should be noted that Dracula's true love, Elizabeth, is played by Winona Ryder. And later on in the movie, she's going to play Mina, which is important because Dracula gets the hots for somebody else who looks like his his one true love. So far, so good? Right. This is essentially the vampiric version of the film Vertigo, in which Dracula becomes obsessed with someone who looks like someone he loved. And it's also the beginning of the the problems with this movie, because Winona Ryder, who I think can be quite good in films, is, uh, I think the word is terrible in this movie. Her accent, both the English and then whatever the fuck she's doing here, like, it's all terrible. 
this movie is overblown, and that's fine because I think some of the overblown nature of this movie works in its favor, but you have to have actors that can pull that off. But Winona Ryder is front and center uh, early on in this film, doing the movie no favors with her, as you described it, soap opera kissing, which I think is, is pretty accurate, where you just try to devour the other person's face. It's like watching an alien who's trying to pretend to be a human kiss someone. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah. how you do it? <laughs> you are just trying to eat the other person's face while they still wear it. <laughs> so here we get to see Gary Oldman, and he looks like uh, Jared Leto when he picked up that Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. He's got this long, flowing brown hair, and he's wearing this battle armor um, that looks like like is it like it's like hardened muscular flesh it reminded me of sally impossible from the venture brothers this is what i like about this movie i like how everything feels like it was filtered through some crazy soho artist's brain to get to the screen like what if his armor was this red musculature that appeared over his own body and you have gary oldman just yelling in some crazy make em up language which is probably a real language but how would i know that i'm american it's just him getting angry and cursing god with subtitles on and it's kind of great like there are so many moments in this conversation where i'm going to say i know all of this is stupid but i love it the rough origin story of dracula is that he goes off to fight the the invaders of christendom under the the order of the dragon and they're winning because he's an awesome general so the turks in a real dick move just take an arrow and shoot it through the window of a of the castle where they deliver a letter to elizabeth <laughs> it basically says hey uh dracula was killed and she is so in love with her husband that she can't stand the thought of living without him so she throws herself out the window and her suicide is an act that is normally reserved for the wiliest of coyotes <laughs> Yeah. In a Warner Brothers cartoon. You're not wrong. Her fall into this bottomless chasm. All I wanted to see was it punctuated with a, a comically tiny cloud of smoke with that distant poof. <laughs> that speaks to the the crazily artistic nature of this movie. Not to be confused with the artful nature of this film. No matter what it is, this movie goes to 11. And you're right. It stops short of the, you know, the poof. right that's the turk who fired the arrow but yeah it's just it's banana let's get into it because elizabeth even though she she drowned they drag her body back up to the church and then dracula comes in and he sees that she's laying supine on the ground in front of an altar and how does he know that elizabeth is dead is that she has a single streak of blood you know coming out of the side of their mouth which isn't that how kids dress up like Dracula? Like two little strings of blood out of the corners of their mouth because they've been drinking so much blood it spilled out of their mouth? Yes. You think it would have been better if she'd stuck her tongue out to one side? Like, uh. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that was her initial choice. And maybe that was the point where Coppola was like, you know what, Winona, put the tongue back in. But save it. Save it for later. 
because we're going to need to see your tongue <laughs> in in a later scene. So Dracula is so upset that uh, Elizabeth has taken her own life. And this priest is behind him. And this guy's played by Anthony Hopkins, which is, it's confusing. This priest steps up and tells Dracula that he's like, hey, look, not for nothing. She took her own life, so she's shit out of luck when it comes to being saved, you know, and getting into heaven. By the way, that was my Anthony Hopkins impression. It's it's pretty good. Also, hey, how about you keep that to yourself until she's buried, at least? You don't start the conversation with, hey, uh, you know this woman that you loved all her life? Not only did she kill herself, <laughs> but she is for sure no backsies burning in eternal torment right now. Because, as you said, them's the rule. Why is Anthony Hopkins playing this priest? He's already playing Van Helsing later in the movie. It doesn't make any sense why he's here. It's distracting. And it's not distracting because you feel like there should be a connection between maybe the priest and Van Helsing. It's it's most notably distracting because he looks so much like Billy Barty from that Masters of the Universe movie. He does. And it, it, you're right. It's distracting. It, you would think that if you wanted to keep with this theme, then you throw Carrie Elways in as well. Like you, you make it so that it's more of a, a dead alive sort of thing. I'm thinking what you're describing sounds like the Wizard of Oz or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> I mean, who cares? <laughs> but instead, it's just Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder that seem to be, you know, repeating uh, history in this scene, which it feels a little lazy and sloppy and confusing. It, right. It's one of the things in this movie that feels like it was almost an idea that doesn't go anywhere. At this point, Gary Oldman does essentially the Transylvanian version of him screaming everyone from the professional. <laughs> Where he denounces God and says that he will come back after his own death and wreak vengeance. Then throws his sword into the big stone cross in the church, which starts bleeding as do all the the statues of angels and Jesuses and babies and whatnot uh, in, the, in the church. The candles start bleeding. Everything starts bleeding because he, he takes a cup. Uh, a, a chalice, if you will, and puts it below the bleeding cross and then drinks it and says, it's the, the blood of my blood stuff. Well, a after he guzzles this down and, you know, tells God to stick it, this sanctuary becomes what, like the Overlook Hotel? I mean, blood is spurting out of every conceivable crack everywhere. And there's literally a geyser of blood spewing up in front of this giant cross. It's just blood is everywhere. Which You know what? This is not how things work. When God steps in and is like, oh my God, did you see what this dude did? He, did you hear what he was saying about me? That's my God voice. Um, did you hear what he was saying about me? And then he, he stuck a sword in a cross in my church? What a little son of a bitch. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make him be forced to drink the blood of innocent people for eternity. Uh, let's see how he likes them apples. And in the meantime, I'm going to shower him with blood because I'm God. So, you know, see how you like that, mister. I thought maybe after she died, like that was God closing a door. And then when the blood spewed everywhere, that was him opening a window. There were one set of footprints in the blood. <laughs>
essentially, I guess what, this is how vampires are born. I don't know. But it's always kind of a big question mark. And in, in the original Bram Stoker novel, you know, there's not an origin story. It's just Dracula is Dracula, has always been Dracula. He was Vlad the Impaler or whatever at some point. And then, you know, was cursed and blah, blah, blah. But it does it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What I like least about this movie is all the attempts to make this stuff matter. I just need him to be a vampire what drinks blood. I don't need him to be the the heartbroken heartthrob that he is in this movie. I don't like all the, the romance part of this, but we'll get into it. We now have our, our vampire created via him being uh, a, a little bit angry at God. If that's how vampires are created, I probably know like Right now, I can name 42 people that are vampires based on their relationship with God. There's a guy in my neighborhood who who I know every night goes out in his backyard and just, just curses the heavens. So that guy might be a vampire. Well, he's definitely an alcoholic. I know that. <laughs> as soon as I saw this movie, I left the theater and immediately did the same thing. You ran in the bathroom to see if you could see your reflection. You're like, right, like, I curse you, God, for... Elizabeth and then I like took a butter knife and stabbed it in the nearest cross I could find and nothing all I got to show for it is a, a shallow case of anemia <laughs> so our next scene we get a, a a font overlay that comes up and it says London 1897 and when I watched this I thought okay we're about you know 400 years past the last time I saw a date stamp of of 1462 and then um, the font overlay adds a second line that says four centuries later. <laughs> I'm guessing that's for dummies who either one don't know the math or two came in late to the theater. They should have just put 400 years later and made this thing idiot proof. You're, you're wasting everybody's goddamn time, Francis Ford Coppola. And that's, uh, again, one of the problems of this movie. I'll tell you what, what's not a problem, though, is that we enter the London scenes with Tom fucking Waits just shouting. Look, there's a lot of great casting in this movie. There is no better casting than Tom Waits as Renfield. I referred to him as Waitsfield in my notes. <laughs> he is so good in this like tom waits is legitimately a good actor he just doesn't do that much work because he's also an incredible weirdo another quick aside here here's why i love tom waits there was a, an interview that he was doing on the late show with david letterman and letterman asked him how he uh, wrote his music because if you never listen to Tom Waits' music, all of it is about being drunk, your woman leaving you. It's essentially country music, only it's kind of crooning. But it's all fantastic. I highly recommend it. Tom Waits, in describing his creation process, says, Well, you know, Dave, music either takes a long time, or sometimes you get a whole song all at once in your head. Like... It comes out of your subconscious like a potato. <laughs> and I challenge you to find a better representation of the artistic process because, spoilers, there isn't one. But Tom Waits is Renfield. He's he's got the again the like the design of this movie is is one of the big things I like about it. Uh, he is he has these crazy kind of Coke bottle glasses on. His hair is in this almost pompadour that's about six inches too tall for any period of history ever, and is just leaning out the window like the master's coming. 
And that's what I want in a Dracula movie. I want a crazy-ass Renfield talking about the master. And the fact that you've got Tom Waits uh, as Renfield, I'm back on board. I've, I've At this point in the movie, I've forgotten about Winona Ryder trying to eat Gary Oldman's face. And I'm, I'm into it. I want to see where this movie's going. Okay, I'm going to knock you off that board right now. Because in the plot, Waitsfield is in the, the cuckoo house. Because he used to be what he was like the legal counsel, accounting, real estate, you know, whatever person. What Jonathan Harker ultimately does, which is he he is sent to Dracula's castle to get him to sign the paperwork to take possession of Carfax Abbey. But Renfield comes back and is just all kookaburra. And again, this is where we meet Jonathan, played by Keanu Reeves, um, who's going to be taking over the accounts left behind by uh, Renfield. And I just want to look, let's just briefly address his accent. And as I noted in the opening, it's not a very good British accent. But I think it's not that he's doing a bad British accent. I just think his accent is absent. I mean, it's it's almost like so right. watered down. To call it a bad accent is... I don't know. It'd be like, you know, hello, governor, you know, <laughs> something. It's just like, what are you doing? His is just right. sort of, hello. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, what, you know, like, you know, crikey. Wait, that's Australian. Is that Australian? Uh, it doesn't matter. Eh, it's all the same. Yeah. It's all European. About, Oi. Is that one? Yeah, that's right. He's attempting the rhythm of the British accent without the inflection on the words. So that it just sounds like he got kicked in the head by a donkey as a child and just doesn't talk so good. You know what? Let's go with that. So here we get to meet Mina, who is Winona Ryder. Again, she looks just like Alberta. Jonathan tells Mina that they're going to have to postpone their wedding because he's got to go take us some business. She's understanding and she kisses with that same kind of smack, smack, open mouth, you know, soap opera, lovey-dovey thing. And Mina takes uh, Jonathan over to some gazebo and they sit down and there's more slobber smooching going on. And then this, this peacock comes in with its feathers to obscure the camera and its plumage feels like the equivalent of a fade to black on a tenement window. I, I don't know. Did you take that as though they were, you know, I don't know, having sex or maybe there was some over the pants hand job or something going on there? Because Mina is really on board to kind of get some things going. And Jonathan seems to be relatively unaware that sex is a thing that can happen between a man and woman. Right. Well, it is part of, uh, the, the theme as it were of this movie, which is the simmering sexuality of the women in this film and, and the repress, the repression of that sexuality. I mean, don't worry. That only matters for about the first half. And then it doesn't matter at all by the end of it. I assumed that the peacock feathers were, uh, Coppola literally peacocking. Yeah. Where he's just like, look at this. I'm going to do this transition where it's going to go from peacock feathers to a train tunnel. Isn't that cool? Yeah, we get a model train and it's choo-chooing along. And um, here we get the voiceover of Dracula himself um, as Jonathan reads a letter from Big D. And Dracula signs this letter to Jonathan about his travels with the letter D, which... Yeah, I like that move. See, I think it's an asshole thing. I know people at my work that sign their emails with their initials and it's like their middle initial too. And, and in my mind, I'm like, you're an asshole. I don't know why that's the case, but it's like, you can't type your name. Here, my argument in favor of this is that I think, right, your office work, your co-office workers should not 
be allowed to do this. If you're an unholy agent of Satan who has lived for four centuries on the blood of the innocent, you can kind of sign your name however you want in my book. And I also like... Like, Gary Oldman has never found a scene that he, he didn't want to chew. And it, it plays to this movie, I think. And even him doing that narration of, like, you know, I look forward to your arrival. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> His dialogue is delivered with syrup or something. It's just so sticky. And I like it. I, I, I right, But if you were to send me an email and signed it, C... I would think, yeah, that's a real asshole thing to do. On the other hand, <laughs> if you later revealed to me that you lived in a castle with three sexy undead ladies and were trying to, uh, you know, procure real estate in London to conduct your unholy affairs, I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, he's a pretty good guy. I kind of like him. You better watch out. <laughs> right. That's the plan. I think in this movie, they really force the epistolary narrative with all of the letters. And I get that, that this is Bram Stoker's Dracula and why it's there but it's to me it feels that there are elements of this movie where trying to dumb down both again the special effects you know that I noted in the opening as well as trying to be true to the source material just seem a little forced and cobbled yeah. together and it doesn't flow as as seamlessly as as what you would expect from from a film that was made you know I guess for this film you know in the 1990s so uh, Jonathan arrives at uh, Dracula's homeland and he's in one carriage um, and this fellow traveler gives him a cross for protection. And there are a bunch of wolves howling about as this second mysterious black carriage shows up to complete the escort of Jonathan to Dracula's place. And the driver of this black carriage is either Reed Richards or Plastic Man. Because his arm like extends out 30 feet and just grabs Jonathan by his shoulder. And he just sort of like floats him into the carriage with this super crazy long arm. And Jonathan is totally unfazed by this. And for me, I was watching it thinking, that looks kind of fun. I think I'd like to have somebody kind of pick me up and be like, boop. And then you're in the carriage. Right. The other alternative there is perhaps Freddy Krueger, uh, who, who did the long arm gag in the, in the first Elm Street film. Um, yeah, it, right. He should be a little more upset. Jonathan Harker should be at this point because anytime somebody's arm unnaturally extends and lifts you off the ground and into a carriage, I've got at least three questions as follow ups. How did you do that? Can I do that? I'm raising at least one eyebrow. <laughs> Right. It it opens a lot of doors to uh, to questioning, I, w I would argue. But Jonathan doesn't seem to be interested in any of that. He just wants to get, you know, in, in away from all the howling wolves, apparently. And also, we got ourselves the, along the, the Borgo Pass. There is uh, one of them roads, you know, where if you just lean out the door or look out the window, the the pass itself or the road along the pass is literally as wide as the carriage so if you know if you break down or swerve a little bit or whatever you got no way out yeah i've not seen a road like this since uh the love bug was in monte carlo <laughs> I, here's another thing the, this is one of the moments in the movie that i <laughs> i dearly love and it's in this this sequence and it's it's during the the narration of d 
as he's telling uh, Harker kind of what's up and welcoming welcoming him to the castle and whatnot. And it's where you get the the superimposed eyes of Dracula in the clouds. And it's one of those things that's like, this is unnecessary. It doesn't need to be here. But it it also uh, harkens back to the classic style of filmmaking that Coppola is going after. This sort of gothic horror where everything is a little technicolor and overblown and, and that kind of thing. And that's the stuff I love. And I think this movie does a better than most job of capturing that aesthetic. And it's that hey bo yes two years before this movie came out you know what i saw i saw a fucking t-rex chase jeff goldblum in a jeep and and eat people come on man bring your a game it's like you know what we're not gonna do this using special effects why the fuck not what is wrong with you see make this shit look look respectable like i i watched jurassic park again not not long ago watching dracula again uh i would say if you gave me my choice of one or the other style of of effects i'll take the dracula stuff i i like matte paintings i like miniatures i like i like tangible stuff and even though it is uh like jurassic park undeniably great special effects and all that at the end of the day i I like the in-camera stuff. It feels it feels more organic to me in a way that a Jurassic Park never will. You like all those vampire titties. I d- well, that too. But like all the Hammer stuff. Well, speaking of vampire titties, um, all the Hammer stuff is all this kind of of thing. You know, it's the the matte painting and the miniature castle with the forced perspective and all that stuff. But I love it. I think it it doesn't necessarily look real, but it looks right. You put a fucking T-Rex in this movie, I'll give you eight more dollars. It it's shocking to me that there has not been a Dracula versus dinosaurs movie yet. Go turn on sci-fi right now. There's one on. I mean, what do you, what do you call it? Jurac Jurassic Dracula Park. Dracula Park. Dracula Park may be it. <laughs> now I kind of want to watch that movie. T Rexes that were vampires. Oh shit! And they. I give you. I give you ten dollars for that. They can only come out at night. Oh yes. <laughs> We get to the castle and we pass through this wall of blue flames. I don't know why. And then they go through this series of metal gates that looks like the ones that you see on MST3K when the crew heads into the theater to crack on movies. The castle that Dracula lives in looks like it's straight out of Middle Earth. I mean, it's this bizarre towering you know, monolith of unholy residential neighborhood stuff. <laughs> we then get to meet Dracula in his present form. And Dracula shows up and he's all pasty white with his long white hair pulled up onto his head. And he looks like Emperor Palpatine, Mm -hmm. but with a giant bra on his head, a la Anthony Michael Hall in Weird Science. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that, that that is a very accurate description of it. And he's wearing this red kimono that has this train that is longer than anyone i've ever seen including royal brides it's he's just a sight yeah but he's been alone except with you know a couple of women that he shacked up with and and here's the problem with, with being a vampire is if 
if you get the hots for a lady and decide like oh this is the one then you turn her and you're stuck with that bad decision for eternity and this is a bad decision that dracula has made at least three times he is living alone he's got three women that he doesn't really care about that he's spending as much time away from as he possibly can and he's left to his own devices also mirrors none around that he can look into so this is are you talking about the president of the united states (laughs) i mean maybe um but it's (laughs) it's 400 years of him doing his own haircuts dressing himself going down some weird roads in terms of what he's into dracula goes through phases that normal lifetimes can't contain i could see that that's how i explained the hair the clothes pretty much anything he does is yeah he's fucking crazy he's been alive for 400 plus years like the human brain is not meant to be around that long that's why dementia and shit happens because at a certain point the brain just starts shutting down in his house there's this giant portrait of dracula in the dining room like from his his younger glory days i just i was wondering who who puts up a giant portrait of themselves in their house like that just rich assholes I mean, is there anybody else that you can think of that would do that? Well, again, he's got no mirrors, so every now and again he's like, what do I look like? Oh, right. The two-story picture of me. I knew somebody growing up whose mom had a giant portrait of her up in the main living area of their house. If it were a velvet nude and she was originally in porn... That's the only way that any of that makes sense. No, this was just a giant. I mean, it was a big, like, you know, four feet by three feet, huge portrait in a a house from our childhood that you walked in. I was like, hmm, you don't see that every day. That's weird. I'm going to leave now. If the next time you were at my place and I had a portrait of myself hanging up, what would your first question be? Where did you get that? And how can I get one for myself? I had it commissioned and you can't. I killed the artist immediately after he completed the work. I'll edit this out, but it was his mom. Oh, that makes sense. That, But that does totally. Now that you say, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> So, um, Jonathan comes in, he's hungry, so he's eating dinner and Dracula's watching him. And Jonathan comments on this portrait and how it must be an ancestor and he can see the resemblance. And Dracula mumbles something about how, uh, the order of the dragon defended Christianity and he's like, it didn't end successfully. And then Jonathan gives it this real solid, uh, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> Like he really doesn't care. (laughs) And Dracula jumps up, grabs this sword and just violently whips around and points it at Jonathan's neck. And he's like, this is no laughing matter. And Jonathan just stares back as one would when being accosted by a crazy albino who's into head lingerie. And in this movie, Dracula, at least at this point, is not frightening. Right. He's a doddering old man with a sword, which is what you don't want. But also like Jonathan Hart. Parker takes it the way that I think all of us would, which is like, get a load of this crazy fossil, right? And he stands up and he gives him the, uh, Count, I have uh, offended you with my ignorance. Really sorry about that. Um, so are we cool? Fish and chips. Yeah, right. Tut, tut, old man. <laughs> and, and Dracula does the turn where he's like, oh shit, I almost gave up the ghost there and almost vampired out on this little <laughs> son of a bitch. And he's like, oh yes, uh, sorry, I'm an old man. <laughs> 
and and blows it off which is another thing i enjoy in dracula movies is when dracula almost does like he's an almost vampire for a second he's like oh i mean nothing um and that's that's kind of the move here where dracula like almost uh turns into a bat or some shit and it is like halfway to murdering jonathan harker and and then it's like oh no we are cool don't worry. I, sometimes I get confused. I want to pause our conversation for just a moment. Earlier, you were talking about your favorite performance of uh, Dracula, you know, through, throughout the ages. And, and again, as you mentioned earlier, this is really in your wheelhouse. Everything that just came out of your mouth made me realize that my favorite interpretation of Dracula is the one where Bugs Bunny goes toe to toe with Dracula. The Epercopocus. That's it. That's my, that's my favorite one of all time. He almost gives away too much information, but then dials it in. And when he does, it backfires. So uh, back to our regularly scheduled conversation. I love Warner (laughs) Brothers cartoons. I think of the Abracapocus and Hocus Kazam gag on on a monthly basis. (laughs) Is it when you're standing in line at like a gas station and some idiots in front of you trying to pick out which one of the lottery tickets is going to solve all their problems? Uh, It's usually during sex, strangely enough. It's my version of thinking about baseball scores. I thought that was was maybe just how how you punctuated the moment you know like abracapocus <laughs> i will next time <laughs> jonathan and dracula get to work on finishing up these real estate deals and they do this they do this effect where dracula's shadow does one thing while dracula in the foreground does something different and it's essentially just like peter pan's shadow but with more bloodlust can you watch this at this point without thinking of the simpsons bit where the shadow is like up playing with a yo-yo in the background and stuff because i can't no i mean they definitely spoiled it but um there's a few other moments later on where the the shadows kind of running around i would like to have seen the shadow just be its own character throughout the whole film but again i think that that would have um taken away from the the serious nature of what the hell that they were trying to do but it's also one of those things that after you leave the castle none of the shadow stuff really matters and, which is kind of a bummer because I do think it's kind of creepy like when you see the shadow moving along the table and it snuffs out the candlelight and, and stuff like that. I think all of that's really creepy and weird and it doesn't necessarily have to work on a logical level because, you know, some of the best horror movies don't. In the next scene, Jonathan notices that Dracula has really hairy palms, which I, I pose to you, how many people that saw this movie didn't think he jerks off a lot, and that's why his palms are hairy. Um, children under the age of, say, seven <laughs> who had never heard this particular old wives' tale or, or idiom, whatever it might be. I w- I've seen this movie probably a half dozen times in my life, and when I watched it again the other night, as soon as I see the hairy palms, I'm like, I bet he jerks off a lot. <laughs> in this movie, Dracula makes these really lame jokes. At dinner, when Jonathan's eating, he says... I never drink wine. But that's from that's from OG Dracula, I believe. I think that's a Lugosi nod. I, but but I think because of the timing of it, you're able to to sell it, you know, again, a, as a joke. Because here when he's talking with Jonathan, he says, you are a man of good taste. Well, but that's, uh, that's the, the vampire almost giving up the ghost a little bit. And it's another thing I like in vampire movies where, where he's like, you know, please. Uh, I would like to come in with your permission. 
you know and it's like oh he's gonna go in and eat those people but he can't go in until they invite him so he's gonna be like a suave vampire but also have a little fun with it because again 400 plus years old you get a, a sense of humor about this shit you do do you think dracula has a sense of humor or do you think these jokes are just unintended consequences of bad speech timing and because it feels like to me it's, <laughs> it's like that that comment of i think you are pretty ugly you know <laughs> like, yeah or or i must leave now to take a shit <laughs> what <laughs> Yeah, I think he maybe he just does that uh, all the time, you know? I wanted to know, are you pregnant? <laughs> no, I, I I guess I just let myself go a little bit. <laughs> and plus, I'm a man. Right. I don't know. It, it's hard to say, because in this movie, it's not like he has a sense of humor later, you know? And that's a big problem, is that the character of Dracula in the castle is so different from the character of Dracula once he gets to, to London. And it becomes more of a love story, which is, is, again, the part I'm less interested in, which is why I'm delaying the conversation. But... <laughs> Like when he's in the castle, it's sort of the, the the truly the Bram Stoker Dracula. He's kind of old and he's gross and he's got hairy hands. That comes from the book as well. Well, it comes from him masturbating all the time. Well, that's the thing. If you read the book now, it's just like, man, Bram Stoker wanted to fuck and was a writer at a time where you couldn't say that. So the entire book is about him wanting to fuck ladies just raw, but he can't write a book where you fuck ladies raw. So instead, the main character just drains them of blood but it's all this it's all seduction and stuff like that like dracula itself is a very puritanical novel but it's puritanical in the sense that it is constantly trying to repress the sexuality being discussed in that book and there's part of that in this movie that i like that you're talking about repressed sexuality a lot of it just ends up going nowhere which is unfortunate because there's a lot of you know there's some meat on the bones uh of of that kind of discussion and it would be it would be nice if if the movie were smart enough to pull that off dracula asks jonathan if he believes in destiny and then he sees this i guess it's like a portrait of mina that belongs to jonathan and then dracula just gets all entranced and jonathan tells dracula that he and mina are to be married and dracula's shadow tries to strangle jonathan in the background it's the funniest moment in the whole movie it's hilarious <laughs> And it's, it's, yeah. It's like, I'm going to kill you. Oh, why I ought to. All right. I suppose it would be more like, why I ought to. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, it does not make sense. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan asked Dracula if he was ever married. And then Dracula prattles on about how he was once married and how his life is nothing but misery. And he's just this albino sad sack of like, oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> But you can argue that being a vampire, th there are different kinds of vampires, right? There's like the Nosferatu vampires. You don't want to end up like that because you look too weird to ever be in public again. If you could get away with like this style vampire where, you know, all you got to do is drink some blood on a ship and then you get all sexy again. Um, Yeah, quit, quit your moaning. Yeah, get with it. Quit your bitching. But it also speaks to, hey, I've been alive for 400 years and I just want this to be over with now. I think there's an element of that, which again, the movie is not smart enough to get into but i i think that it to me is the more compelling vampire problem isn't like oh my heart has been broken so many times 
all I do is listen to REM. Um, I, I think the, the more compelling bit is like, oh, I've lived too long and I've seen too much and I just can't die. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Um, buy, a, buy a guillotine. Chop off its fucking <laughs> head and you're done. That's it. Or or do there's a, a great vampire film called Thirst, a uh, 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 Chan Wook Park film that ends with a vampire doing that very not a guillotine, but just like, hey, I need to die now, so I'm just gonna watch the sun come up and done and done. Well, that doesn't work in this movie, and we'll get to that because in this movie, much like uh, the vampire um, uh, trilogy Twilight, vampires can walk around in the daylight without dying. Well, and again, that is a Bram Stoker thing that that Dracula was walking around in in the daylight in the book, right? And Bram Stoker got that from Twilight, right? I've never seen Twilight. I've never read the book. I saw the original Twilight in the theater. What? Yeah, I knew nothing about it. I knew it was a vampire thing, and it was at the time that I was starting the the horror site, and I felt obligated to see every horror release in the theater, and I thought it was a horror movie. And Chad, I was wrong. <laughs> Dracula tells Jonathan that uh, he wants uh, Jonathan to write his work and write Mina and his family and tell them that he will be staying with Dracula for a month. Which, what? I don't... Their business was wrapped up in, like, a couple of hours. Why would he do this? Uh, Look... I get the heebie-jeebies when someone unexpectedly asks me to stay for dinner at their house. Or when they serve milk with dinner. Have you ever been somewhere and it's proposed like, hey, why don't you just stay the night? And I don't mean in a romantic sense. Like, you know, you're at somebody's house and there's a few people like, yeah, just sleep over. And like, When that happens, I'm like, what? No. No, I'm not staying at your house. What am I, 12? I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah, I have a home of my own. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that. The, the, the only exception to that rule is if you're out of town or you're incredibly drunk or both the only way i'm going to answer that question with something that resembles a yes is when i'm asked that question and i just don't reply i'm just like i'm just passed out chad why don't you spend the night oh he's gonna sleep there right and the other the other situation where that's okay is i'm trying to get i'm trying to get it get it wet and uh, I'm here because I want to hear the words, hey, do you want to stay the night? Well, that's a different story. I'm just talking about you're, you're somewhere and there's like, you know, another couple or a group of people like, hey, you guys can just crash here. We've got a spare room. I'm like, no, no, I'm no. out. I'm done. Yeah. How about you go fuck yourself with your hospitality? <laughs> do you want to clean these sheets? Because that's what's <laughs> happening if I stay. You know what? Scratch that. Do you want to burn these sheets? If I stay here, they're done. Yeah. I'm going to jerk off and shit in a pillowcase. Look, look at my palms. You see how hairy they are? I'm not a vampire. I have a problem. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I will stay the night. <laughs> Time. I want to touch my dick. Um, <laughs> Mina decides she's going to stay with her friend Lucy, who is this redheaded rich debutante. And her family's loaded with money. In this uh, scene where Mina is, uh, you know, sort of letting her know she's going to be staying in her house, Mina sneaks a peek at some illustrations from a book of Arabian Nights. In my opinion, it looks more like the Kama Sutra because it's got these illustrations of some bearded prince with this giant horse dick giving it to some veiled woman. And then Lucy shows up and then the two of them look 
at this 19th century pornography. Lucy asks Mina if Jonathan has, you know, a great big dick. And Mina says that they've only kissed with open mouths like they do on soap operas. And then that scene just kind of ends. Right. So again, to your point earlier, it's kind of that repression of female sexuality. Like, hey, look, the ladies in this movie are ready to go. And all of the guys are just sort of, you know, right. Like the, the Texan shows up. Lucy is like, oh, look how big it is. And clearly talking about his dick. And Mina's just like, oh, she's so naughty. Like, it's all the guys in this movie that are, in theory, trying to preserve the virgin nature of these characters. It just doesn't end up playing because, in theory, like, oh, okay, all the guys around these these women are these repressed individuals who don't allow them to express their sexuality. And Dracula is the representation of the man that's like, no, no, we should get down to some fucking. Again, in the next scene, like you said, this Texan shows up. But how is this Texan not played by Joe Don Baker reprising his role from those Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a fine question. That would be good. Billy Bob Thornton, even though he- he's my number two. <laughs> And then, and then after that, it's basically the honky tonk man. So at this party, um, Big Tex goes over and Lucy makes this innuendo to how big his dick is, but it's this Dundee brand butcher knife that he carries around. And then, uh, two more suitors show up. One of them is a doctor who is treating Renfield. And then the other one is this fancy Lord Homewood played by Carrie Elways. Mm-hmm. And Lucy's flirting with them all. And then Dracula's shadow shows up and for some reason is kind of tracks over to Mina at this party. So that scene ends. Again, in theory, we are setting up the burgeoning sexuality of Mina and Lucy both, and also Dracula's uh, connection to Mina. But I don't know. The next thing we get the doctor treating Renfield, who's kind of dealing with this breakdown. And the guards in this, I don't know, like insane asylum wear these metal cages on their heads, which I'll, like, is that to protect them? Because it kind of looks like they're the prisoners. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't make any sense to me. Our good doctor in this is dressed up like Huckleberry Finn at his workplace, which, you know what? There's a reason that doctors wear white coats. It allows us to know that they're doctors. Or you drape a stethoscope around your neck, and that lets me know you're a doctor. Because without these visual cues, I'm sitting in a you know waiting room, and some asshole comes in wanting to stick his finger in my ass. And I'm like, I'm guessing you're a doctor, but I don't know that without a white coat and a stethoscope. But this is, you know, 1897 doctoring where you just go in and you're like, you got your notepad and you go to Renfield and you're like, hey, man, what's with eating the flies and whatnot? And he's like, oh, it's a life. Oh, uh-huh. What if you ate, say, a spider? Oh, again, the the genius of Tom Waits in this scene is every time he is fed another thing that he could eat and and it sounds like it would be bigger. He just uh, he just comes in his pants over it where he's just like, well, it, what if instead of a spider, you had a bird? And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, a bird. <laughs> and then he's like, well, what if you had a cat? Yes, sir. A cat. And I, again, I just adore the Tom Waits performance in this because his performance is as big as the set design and the cages on the orderlies heads and all that stuff. Like all that stuff belongs in in the same movie. Later on, when we get the scene of Dr. Seward, when he's shooting up. Just con the doctor. You got the doctor, you got Lord Fancy Pants, and you got Big Tex. That's, those are your three characters. <laughs> Fair enough. So when the doctor shoots up later, this 
is some which go- time right this is like 1897 doctrine where you're trying like the medicine on yourself first uh which <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a, a king's taster or something to make sure the food isn't poisoned you know it's like you know doctor would this help me i don't know let me about a little for daddy we'll see how it goes whose speaking voice and singing voice is more different tom waits or william shatner uh tom waits because he can do the raspy voice but he can also do the crooning singing voice and shatner Mm -hmm. is shatner i mean the singing voice and the speaking voice are one in the same Uh, let me just also say anybody listening to this who has no idea who tom waits is go to your streaming service of choice and just listen to the top three songs that tom waits has available in popularity or whatever else tom waits is amazing i'll do you one better here chad you look up tom waits rain dogs and listen to the whole album cover to cover. And, it, and you will be a better person at the end of it. Because you will know somewhere out there, someone had it worse. Martha is the song that I recommend across the board, which is on Closing Time. And um, that's just one of those ones that you're just like, man, that's heavy. One of my personal favorite songs, for obvious reasons, is uh, th- there's a song called Better Off Without a Wife. That is just about being a bachelor as you get older. And how it takes a certain amount of courage it's a wonderfully funny song and tom waits almost too good for this movie and quite frankly for this world tom waits is what you graduate to after you're done with randy newman yes yes like when you (laughs) like mind all the irony out of randy newman and you're like boy i wish there was someone who was more bitter then tom waits will find you (laughs) you'll just get a phone call hi it's tom (laughs) i hear you're done with randy newman did i tell you the potato story we get back to our movie and jonathan is hanging out at dracula's place for this month and uh, jonathan is shaving and dracula doesn't appear in the mirror because he's a vampire and then dracula like he magically closes the door and he floats around like he's on a hoverboard or something none of this is even noticed by jonathan because jonathan in my opinion is a bit of a dimwit jonathan cuts himself shaving and dracula licks the blood off of this straight razor he smacks it in his mouth like hannibal lecter eating fava beans it's a real yeah but I, I like it because that's a real vampire shit to do where you're just like, like he's hiding the fact that he's licking the blade from Harker. But the whole time he's just like, oh, fuck, that's the good shit. Then Dracula comes over and proceeds to shave Jonathan and he warns him not to leave the room ever. And then Dracula sees that Jonathan has a cross on him that was the one that was given to him by the traveler earlier. And Dracula freaks out and he tells him like, hey, we do shit different here in Transylvania. So knock it off with the, the, the cross nonsense. And then Dracula leaves only to reappear crawling down the wall of the castle outside of jonathan's window come to your point earlier how much you enjoyed the the low-tech part is it looked like adam west and burt ward scaling a building as Uh batman and robin or if you want to make that reference more contemporary he looked like the girl uh, from the ring crawling around if you wanted to bring it a little bit closer he looked like spider-man sure crawling around jonathan again has sent out three letters to his work his family and to mina and um he's basically like oh man i'm a prisoner now so he wanders around the castle and he sees some rats crawling across this ceiling beam and they're upside down um it doesn't look like that they're actually crawling upside down it looks like that they were filmed uh one way and then turned upside down which is what they did Mm -hmm. and it looks stupid 
in this movie. <laughs> Again, in Jurassic Park two years earlier, I saw real dinosaurs. I go see this movie two years later and I'm seeing upside down rats crawling on a beam. Get your shit together. And, and in fairness, they're not just rats. These are the brides, which is why the, the rats are crawling upside. Where? Did, how did you get that? Is that from the book? No, it's because, uh, you know, he, later Dracula says, you know, you can command and turn into the lower beasts. And the fact that rats are walking upside down, well, that ain't normal rat behavior. So these these brides uh, were turning into rats and, and crawling along following Harker. I assume that's how they get under the blankets. Well, you're clearly paying way much more attention than I was. Honestly, I can't say with 100% certainty that's the case because you're right. Uh, there are times that Coppola just doesn't seem to give a shit. But also, I do think these, in theory, these are the, the brides. All right, let's let's get to the brides because Jonathan leaves his room and he makes his way to this other location where he encounters the, the brides. And he comes into this room and there's a bed and he lays on the bed and then some naked vampire chick pops up like out of the bed itself uh-huh. monica bellucci wor- worth noting <laughs> is it yeah the the first bride that you see is monica bellucci yeah i didn't pay attention to the credits if you want to see the most uncomfortable rape scene in cinema history check out the film irreversible with monica bellucci you'll never get it out of your eyes or brain i'm not gonna do that you shouldn't one of the brides lets out this hiss uh, when she sees the cross around Jonathan's neck. And then she just like breathes on it and disintegrates. So yeah, I guess that can happen. And and I just hate the disappearing cross because it's like, well, if vampires can do that, then what the fuck is the point of a cross? Why wouldn't they always just go and then wave their hand and make it melt away or whatever? But right. Yeah. But then it, it's time for sexy time with with the brides. And when things re- one of the things that go and so they're kissing and it's getting really sexy. And then one of the vampires uh pops out the vampire teeth and just bites Jonathan on his dick is that your interpretation of what happened i i would presume because uh you know my my work in in the medical field chad uh that the the vein that runs in the inner thigh i would presume would be the thing mm. but uh i mean it could be his dick so after he gets bit on the dick is he a vampire now and if so, what? So the deal is, you a vampire can kill you by draining your blood. To become a vampire, you have to drink the blood of said vampire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Van Helsing yaps on about that later. Okay, okay. There are rules, Chad. Got it. Okay, it all makes sense now. Having seen this movie three times. <laughs> One of the vampire ladies starts making out with another vampire lady, which I was like, what's going on there and then one of them starts sucking the blood out of jonathan's nipple it's like squirt squirt squirting up yeah blood lactation that happens when you are in a menage with three vampires or well, that would even be a menage that's an orgy you're on you're in a full-on vampire orgy at that point congratulations and also ooh. so who shows up to ruin the fun but dracula he shoes away the three brides and says that jonathan belongs to him but to appease his brides dracula produces a baby from somewhere and he just gives it to them to eat and jonathan gives a and then we get the signature Dracula laugh at um, a little earlier. I guess it's worth pointing out. Speaking of classic vampire moves, uh, the laughter is one of like, 
Yeah. Oh, I guess the jig is up. The other one is when the wolves are howling, you get the official, like Jonathan Harker, like, oh, listen, there's fucking wolves out there. That's terrible. And he's like, the children of the night. What beautiful music they make. Oldman's delivery of it is pretty good. Like, again, never, never met a scene he couldn't chew. And Oldman is uh, is doing his damnedest to leave no part of the scenery behind. In our next scene, it's a beautiful sunny day. And Mina gets a letter from Jonathan that says, hey, I'm not going to be home for a month. Which, how does that not end a relationship? How is it not clear that this is over? She has a number of outs in this movie in a relationship that she is clearly not that excited about. No. One of them is this one where it's like, hey, I'm stuck doing work i would immediately be like dear jonathan don't worry about rushing back you son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna get lucy's runoff whoever that may be love mina p.s go fuck yourself lucy shows up and says that she's decided to marry lord holmwood and not the texan with the big knife no dracula would have liked that joke i wrote that one for him (laughs) i appreciate it. <laughs> and then it kind of starts to rain and Mina and Lucy, they kind of, they're, they're giggling and they run around the way young girls are wont to do. And then they look up at the sky and there's these two giant eyes peering down from them from this sea of dark storm clouds. And then we cut to a cargo ship, which is headed to England. The Demeter. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then, and then it's, for some reason, Anthony Hopkins picks up his narration again, which we haven't heard since the beginning of the film. At, at this point, it's where Anthony Hopkins is going to start playing Van Helsing. He says that the ship is taking 50 boxes of experimental earth to England, which I have no idea what experimental earth is. Do you? Uh, no, no. That all sounds like nonsense. So we come back to Mina and Lucy. (laughs) Mina and Lucy are running around in the rain and it's dark, but it's not too dark. And they're giggling and flitting about, uh, this miniature hedge maze around this mansion that they're living in. And then the two of them start kissing. Wait, what? (laughs) Why are they kissing each other? If you want to read into like the eyes that see them and whatnot, that it's the the sexual influence of Dracula as he approaches London. Uh, in reality, it doesn't really make all that much sense and it doesn't really belong in this scene, but you know, fine, I guess. Then a wolf escapes the London Zoo, which I don't know why and I, and I don't know who cares. We need it later for a, a plot device. And then we're back on the ship and then we see Dracula turning himself into a wolf in this box of experimental dirt that he's traveling in and then next he's like full-blown vampire wolfman and he's just eating the ship's crew how is he going to bring this ship into dock this is about as plausible a scenario as the ending of the lost world when that ship with the lone t-rex that killed all the crew somehow made its way perfectly into the port at the exact location where they're scheduled to arrive you can't bring a ship in like this by yourself it doesn't work that way it's an ill-conceived plan on Dracula's part I guess his thinking is push come to shove I turn into a bat and I just fly the rest of the way or whatever good point but he still leaves his boxes of experimental dirt behind which it turns out he needs unless he's just got it timed so well that he's rationing his, his blood supply to the point where he's like all right 
All I have to do is wait to kill the captain last. I need someone to drive the boat. And he just eats everybody else except for the captain, which in the book, the last person left is the, the ship's captain who has chained himself to the the wheel and is found dead, secured to, to the, the ship's wheel, which I always thought was kind of a cool image. This movie doesn't do that. And as soon as it like the, the ship crashes on the shoreline, Dracula in Wolf mode just straight up runs makes a break for it apparently and and one of the problems i have is that we never really get any kind of explanation of how did these crates get moved to carfax abbey and his other locations and and stuff like that at the end of the day kind of who cares but if you're going to get into hey we've got to have these crates of dirt and they're important then i I should know how they get where they're supposed to go or if you're following the source material as this is Bram Stoker's Dracula, then put those dots and connect them. I noted that as well of like, I don't know why he's bought these 10 properties or what he's trying to do because he had purchased the properties before he sees the picture of Mina. I was like, well, maybe if he had seen her and then he bought the properties because he wanted to go to London and he needed a lot of different safe houses to, you know, hang out in his dirt so that he wouldn't die, but he can walk in the sunshine. So it doesn't make any sense to me. In the book, the whole idea is, well, he has these 10 locations all throughout London with dirt in them so that he always has a place to go. Even if he's found out, he's got other locations that are, are hidden where he can kind of get to safety if he is being hunted by vampire hunters which is the thing you have to worry about if you're a vampire oh yeah 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 we then see dracula and he's in full-on wolfman get up and he's covered in blood we then see lucy walking outside and she's wearing this flowing red nightgown that she borrowed from stevie nicks <laughs> just like the red winged wolf <laughs> sing a song sounds like she's singing Fuck, baby, fuck, baby, fuck. Yeah, we're about to get in some straight up bestiality in this movie, and I am down. Mina goes to Lucy's room and sees that Lucy's not in her bed, and that Lucy left her cross on her pillow, which seems so unlike a woman who is clearly devout to her religious convictions. Mina sees Lucy entering the the garden maze, and she pursues her outside during this storm, and the wind is blowing, and Lucy's dress is uh, blown around so much that it lifts the fabric high enough, just just high enough past her her waist and her belly button that if you if you listen closely to the film soundtrack amongst the the thunderclaps and the howling of the wind uh, faintly in the distance you can hear dudley booger dawson saying we've got bush we've got bush <laughs> there is no reason that we should see this woman's vagina in this scene with her outfits in particular it's constantly like eh, is that a nipple yep that's a nipple the clothing th- that she has chosen for herself is consistently falling off of her uh whether it's when she's in the throes of vampire fever or whatnot or in this scene where she's just like hey i need the loosest thing i can get on my body because i'm about to go fuck a wolf man yeah maybe maybe it is just foreshadowing you know to the next shocking scene to to your point where mina comes around uh the corner and she sees the wolf version of dracula and i don't know how can i put this politely raw dogging lucy on a cement bench (laughs) yeah i think i think that is the medical term dracula wolf man uh bites lucy on the neck and then he sees mina and he screams do not see me which I was like, oh, shit, I wish I could unsee this moment in the movie, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought it was hot. Um, no, I, I think that the wolf fucking. 
scene scene is one of the things that I remember most about this movie. Especially the first time I saw it, I was just like, what in the... The rest of the movie is nowhere near, I think, as, as shocking as this is. I think this is far and away the the one moment of the film that's just like, well, all right then. I, I guess bestiality was on the table all <laughs> along. I didn't know that. But now that I do, it feels like the movie should be much more about this. Mina escorts Lucy back to the house. Lucy says that she had no control over her leaving. She says, I can still taste his blood in my mouth. The two of them leave the garden, and as they're walking away, Dracula Wolfman, he's all hunkered over in this hedge maze, and he's clearly cranking it, because Mina interrupted before he could finish. <laughs> right, he's, he's like, I have to finish up, otherwise I, my balls would be blue. He's just like, ah, 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 ah. I mean, she's just like... Like, what is he? Oh, oh, <laughs> carry on. Coitus Interruptus uh, is never cool. But after Dracula gets a little bit, he, uh, young Gary Oldman, uh, pops out as a rejuvenated Dracula because he got some stanky on his hangdown and he's back in business. Right. Well, between all the blood that he got on, on the ship and as well as a little taste of uh, Lucy, then yeah, he's back to Gary Oldman pre old man status but it's weird because it fluctuates and there's no real rationale and that's the part that bothers me it's like well if he can just look old or young why wouldn't you look old all the time until you needed to look young for mina's sake and i don't know just so we get van helsing and he drops some voiceover that tells us that vampires can move about during the day but they're weaker um, in this state which is why he's not melting away as we've seen in every other vampire vampire movie ever and then we get this weird old-timey film footage um that's kind of fake and sped up as dracula's walking through the city and it's kind of this like you know you know <laughs> going through what it, it was filmed with period appropriate cameras to achieve that effect it's another one of those Coppola things of like, hey, we're going to use a camera that would have been used around. Dracula is strolling through the city and he looks like Chris Robinson from the Black Crows. He sees Mina walking through the streets of London and he beckons to her, see me, which doesn't work. And then Dracula approaches her and he throws his best A game and she politely tells him to piss off. And then Mina goes around the corner and Dracula just like magically slash creepily is waiting there for her. And then she threatens to call her husband or the police as she should. And then he apologizes. And then she apologizes because she feels like she's behaved rudely. No, you haven't. You've behaved like a, a woman should behave when this creepy weirdo is stalking you. Right. He, he is a, a creep. He keeps following you. It, it's time for you to uh, make it clear that he is no longer welcome. And instead... Dracula uh, follows this up by saying, please permit me to introduce myself. And at the time of this movie's release, what percentage of the viewing audience immediately thought, my name is Humpty, pronounced with an umpty? <laughs> yeah, uh, all you rappers in the top 10, please allow me to bump thee. <laughs> uh, it's the only thing I'll ever think from now on. Dracula introduces himself as Prince Vlad. The two of them walk off to go to the Cinemagrapha Toratarium, and it's this fancy fandangled movie theater at a carnival or something. And as they walk away, he rubs her back, which that's a real creep move for someone you just met. Right, right. Although now all I've got stuck in my head is, is uh, stop what you're doing. I'm about to ruin 
the image <laughs> and the style that you're used to. I was in New Orleans on my honeymoon and my wife and I took a ghost tour. We had these tickets and we had to go pick them up at this meeting location. And this guy who gave us our tickets was dressed in this Victorian era get up. And he was like this vampire gentleman. And he told us that his name was Vlad. And we gave us our tickets for the ghost tour. He also gave us two coupons for complimentary draft beer or well drinks at Planet Hollywood. (laughs) And... And I don't think his real name was Vlad or that in all likelihood he was a real vampire. But I do think he was in all likelihood a real disappointment to his parents. (laughs) Remember, on Tuesdays, it's two for one. Look. Like I said, I I love horror movies perhaps to a fault. If somebody wants to uh, dress up like a Victorian era vampire, I kind of don't have a problem with that. My problem <laughs> comes when you ruin the illusion with, with buy one, get ones. I... <laughs> <laughs> That's where I think the illusion somehow uh, falls apart. <laughs> in our next scene, uh, Dr. Feelgood shows up to check in on Lucy. And he's all jacked up on this concoction of like morphine and horse tranquilizers and some synthetic form of phenobarbital. Lucy, try this. I mixed it up and it's quite a rush. Well, yeah, because he immediately gives her a shot of morphine. Uh, He proceeds to try to kiss Lucy because he's a real piece of work. And then Big Tex and Lord Arthur show up after a day of like killing animals out in the woods. So our three gentlemen, they all go in to check on Lucy and she's knocked out to the world, presumably because Dr you know junkie has pumped her full of morphine the doctor recommends that they call for backup from van helsing and once they leave lucy removes the garment hiding her neck and reveals uh the two vampire bite marks so we know she's in trouble she has also revealed to mina that she's becoming a superhero of sorts because she's like i can hear you know all the servants whispering across the building and you know the 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 buzz of a fly sounds like a a a church bell kind of shit no one else in the movie knows this yet but we as the audience are like she's becoming a vampire when you say it sounds like she's becoming a superhero to me it's like you sound like you're becoming a drug addict (laughs) right i can see through time (laughs) so we come back to the uh cinema terragraph vision aramic It's this movie screen theater, and it's essentially a bunch of men watching old black and white porno on a screen, which I'm like, so so the popularity of this theater is that that it's just a communal jerk-off booth? Is that what you saw? Yeah, it's the... It's the stack film from Friday the 13th Part 4. The the dude who's not Crispin Glover inexplicably watches mm. all of. Goes back to the idea, under no circumstances ever do you watch porn with another person unless that other person is the person that you're going to eventually fuck. I had a roommate years ago, this is, you know, 20-ish years ago at this point, that was like, hey man, you want to watch a little porn? I'm like, no, not <laughs> Maybe he thought the two of you were dating. I don't think that was it, but I was like, what do you want to do? Like pop some popcorn and pull the shades <laughs> and and really get into this one? I mean, I don't know. That is something you do in 10 to 15 minute increments when you need to. <laughs> Pornography has a purpose and it's not leisure entertainment. <laughs> 
she tells Dracula that she's got to leave because she's not into black and white porno, I guess. <laughs> and then Dracula says, do not fear me. And then he drags her behind one of the tents and just throws her down on the ground. And there's porno playing in the background while he's on top of her. At the last minute, remember that escape wolf from the zoo? He shows up and just chaos ensues around the carnival. And then Dracula talks to the wolf and keeps it from hurting Mina. And he shows Mina that the wolf is actually friendly and that it likes her, which makes the memory of that attempted rape from two minutes ago fade away because girls love a guy with a dog. Yeah, I well, I, I think any wild animal, like, uh, you can also cite the manhunter principle here where the serial killer of the tooth fairy got Joan Allen to pet a tiger and then she was mm -hmm. into him. So basically if you're a horrifying monster that still wants to ruin a woman's life and get her to love you in some way, you just, you know, get her to, to pet a dangerous animal. It worked in the any which way movies. <laughs> was, was Clint Eastwood the horrifying monster in that? I guess so. He's handsome. He is. I like when he's racist. <laughs> So we finally get to meet Van Helsing, who receives a, a telegram to to come quick, come quick, uh, Lucy's sick. Then we come back to Jonathan. Remember that guy? He's now strung up on a rock wall with three half-naked vampire brides sucking his blood. And then he says in a voiceover that he's going to try to escape. Then we come back and we see Van Helsing, who shows up at the house. It's the only, it's basically the only house in the movie. It's the mansion that's owned by Lucy's family. And we get some more of these like uh, vampire wolf tracking shots to let us know that Dracula's there to keep an eye on things. He's got to pick up his side piece, Lucy. Like, yeah, Mina <laughs> is who he's interested in, but Lucy's who he's fucking right now, you know? He's hovering outside Lucy's window, and then she's writhing in her bed, doing her best Dana Barrett impersonation. <laughs> and then Van Helsing shows up uh, just in time to bust in the room to scare off Dracula. And then we get a cheap thrill of seeing one of Lucy's breasts hanging out of her nightgown. The, the first of many times. And, and She looks, she's like a child that's dressed herself. You know what right. I mean? Like, there's, like, a shoe missing. Like, yeah, you're not wearing underwear. This is on backwards. How did you expect to leave the house like this? It, like, And Van Helsing is, like, checking her out, and it's like, oh, look, fangs. There's a, a scene here where, by the way, I, I do give Anthony Hopkins credit here for knowing what movie he's in, because he's his performance is turned up to 11 in this as well. And he's got, he's got this big speech where he's talking to, you know, our fearless vampire hunters, uh, you know, Big Tech's uh, <laughs> Dr. Feelgood and uh, Lord Fancy Pants. And he's like, you know, we can save Lucy, but we have to understand what we're dealing with. And this is my question in, in much of the film. Is Van Helsing magic? Because at one point he does this like, you know, you know as well as I do, Arthur, that things are not always as they seem. And then he just disappears and reappears behind this stone monument or whatever. And you're like, are you a master of the dark arts as well? Or is this just some illusion and you're throwing your voice? And why are you making me ask these questions when Van Helsing is supposed to be the bedrock of this movie? Of like, no, no, no. Here's what's going on and here's what we need to do to stop it. He's the one who delivers answers. He should not be raising more questions. Mina is so concerned that her friend is in danger that she decides she's going to go drink absinthe with Dracula. Hey-oh. This is the point where 
where she should just write the letter to Jonathan that she's already got mentally composed where she's like look man I met this guy we did some absinthe I I started to cry at one point and he made my tears diamonds and I'm here to tell you Jonathan that's a real panty dropper when he can make me (laughs) a rich woman because I got emotional then I'm afraid you just don't stack up Now, there's a woman out there for you. Why shouldn't these two just be together and be happy? Leave them alone. Let them do their thing. That is the argument of the film is why wouldn't Mina be into Dracula? Because, you know, as he put it, I came across oceans of time for you. She brings up his ex who looks just like her. And this just stops Dracula in his tracks and he's all sad. And we see flashbacks to Elizabeth's death. And then the whole thing just gets weirdly erotic between Dracula and Mina. It just doesn't make any sense. Is he in love with his dead first true love? Is she a reincarnation? Because that is implied for sure. And if she is a reincarnation, then is Van Helsing a reincarnation of the dude we saw from the beginning? And how does Harker fit into all of this and right right, like it's too messy it's just you don't need any of this stuff if you want to have dracula obsessed with mina that's kind of all you need especially if you want him to be the villain of the movie because otherwise he becomes the hero and why would the horrifying monster who drinks blood to survive and turns into a pile of rats be the hero of your movie i'm not sure who the hero of this film is i even thought about that later just you know who's your protagonist it just and and again i have never read dracula Harker and the vampire hunters are clearly the heroes of Dracula, you know, because they're fighting this evil monster that is trying to come and seduce their women. Yeah, I didn't get that from this movie. No, this movie's head the other way, where this movie, Dracula is down to fuck, and so are the ladies. Jonathan escapes Dracula's castle, and he falls into the uh, river in hilarious fashion. Jonathan eventually makes his way to a convent, and the nuns there write a letter to Mina to tell her that she should show up, and that Jonathan's there, and the two of them can be married at once. Uh, Again, head-scratcher. Okay, whatever. Meanwhile, Mina and Dracula are in a sting video, surrounded by candles. Dracula has 400 years of sexual history under his belt, and not only is he making diamonds out of her tears he is going to show her things that no arabian nights could ever have foretold (laughs) in a following scene uh, van helsing seems to know everything about mina and dracula's personal affairs he talks with mina and he speaks in kind of this veiled language about her meetings with dracula and then van helsing grabs mina and dances around in the same fashion that she and dracula did earlier in the movie to imply that he knows about this which how would he know about this unless again according to your theory he's magic and uh, or maybe this is just kind of the vampire two-step i think he just wants to have sex with her i think that's the thing he's like yeah you're a little little, i don't know why i'm doing dragular's voice for van helsing but he's like you're a little younger than me but you know grandpa still knows a thing or two just because there's some snow on the roof doesn't mean that there's not a fire in the furnace (laughs) right forget how the rest of that goes um (laughs) yeah so she almost gets raped by van helsing just on the stoop and then they finally go inside to get down to the business of like hey what's up with lucy Mm -hmm. lucy is telling this time it's the doctor i think where she's like Come and kiss me. Let's let's do some fucking. Uh, Van Helsing is like, no, no, no. Fucking her is a trap. <laughs> so 
<laughs> and then some garlic falls off like a huge like wreath of garlic falls over and she hisses and reacts accordingly so like oh okay so i guess garlic is a thing but beyond this it's never mentioned again right we do learn or, or discover here that she actually has fangs and van helsing is like yeah yeah vampire nosferatu yeah van helsing whips out this book that's called vampire and the thing is uh, and this book is like a history of Prince Dracula. So Dracula is famous, like famous, famous. I was curious if Dracula knows how famous he is because he's such a sad sack throughout this film. Like in, remember in uh, Toy Story 2 when Woody didn't know how famous he was until he saw all the books and like the toys and the TV show about him? Or what was the the documentary Best Worst Movie? When that dentist found out he had like these, this legion of adoring fans, maybe Dracula would change his tune if he knew that people were writing books about him. Yeah. Or he would just have a, I mean, he's already got the narcissism to have a portrait of himself. He would have like the, the Dracula wing of his library. That was just like. With the one book in there. (laughs) This is my book about me. They wrote this about me. Where's my bra? I want to put it on my head. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but has anyone written a book about you? No. (laughs) Here is one about me. Drink it in. Yeah, so Mina, after after seeing the fangs on Lucy and getting the letter from uh, Jonathan Harker that's like, whoa, we should get married at this monastery. She ghosts Dracula and it fucks off to Transylvania to, to marry Jonathan. Meanwhile, while she's out of the picture, Dracula is like, I'll tell you what, you're not going to fuck me? How about this? I'm going to finish up my little business with your pal Lucy. And so he shows up at her bedroom and is like, I'm going to curse you with being hot forever (laughs) so he ends up biting her for the final time and and poor lucy is uh is dead and and we cut back and forth it's one of those things where like as keanu reeves and and winona ryder marry in this movie lucy is getting killed in in parallel scenes and mina and keanu return to london and this is the moment where i think it's clear that you can have keanu reeves in a scene you can have winona ryder in a scene if you have a scene with both of them together and no one else as in this scene where they come back to london and they're in the carriage it just brings the movie to a screeching fucking halt where you're like oh my god neither one of them are doing very good at all in this movie and i like them i like them both i like them both in different movies but this scene particularly you know keanu reeves seeing dracula in the crowd and whatnot when he says it's the man himself you're like i i did a better read of that line just then than he does in the movie he's grown young whoa is he young Dracula? It's just, <laughs> it would be better if that's the voice he were doing. If he were just like, I'm from America. <laughs> I know Jonathan Harker is not from California, but this Jonathan Harker is. Everybody cool with that? <laughs> and just did that for the movie instead of, oh, look, he is. Uh, I mean, it just, it, it sounds like it is painful for him to speak throughout this entire movie. And Winona Ryder her accent like she is uh sort of a, a chameleon in in this movie in the sense that she um is as as good most of
of the time as whoever she's acting against in this scene with it's just her and, and Keanu in this carriage and it's like he's real shitty and she just she is not raising the bar at all she's like this is all I got to do for this scene I don't have to try at all great let's let's roll camera there are plenty of scenes in this movie that bother me but this is the one scene in the film where I'm like this is rotten. And and in it, Dracula's all pissed off. Because he's like, you know, how did you escape? You're with the lady who looks like the lady I was in love with. You know, I do not like this. I gave you diamonds I made from your tears. What what do I have to do? <laughs> Cubic zirconia! I had a jeweler look at them. They're not diamonds. They're cubic zirconia. They're worthless, you piece of shit. God damn it. I've come across oceans of time. Yeah, yeah, I heard it. Okay. Everybody's come across oceans of time. It's costume jewelry, you jackass. You know, it's like everything with you, Dracula. It's all superficial. It looks so good on the outside, but scratch the surface just a little bit. I swear to God, your name shouldn't be Dracula. It should be Fool's Gold. Asshole. I can give you a mortal life. Oh, I, I just bet you can, mister. I, I bet it's a mortal life, but I got to put up with you and all your costume jewelry bullshit for the, forever. You've got three ex-wives? You've got three? Oh, my God. No, thank you. <laughs> when were you going to mention that, you piece of shit? How many children do you have? Where did you get that baby earlier? <laughs> Is that your baby? That's a hard pass on immortality with you, Dracula. How about that? You know, I don't think I can spend another 15 minutes with you, let alone all of eternity. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Van Helsing has rallied the vampire hunters. He's like, hey, we gotta, we can't just sit around and let Lucy free because she is now a godless killing machine. So they go to her tomb where they find her coffin empty. And she was buried in uh, a Harlequin clown outfit, apparently. <laughs> It's her wedding dress, but it's got this giant Elizabethan collar and uh, a hat that makes her look like Harley Quinn. She had her face painted all white, one presumes. Yeah, so she shows up with a kid in tow and they give her a little bit of uh, cross action and she drops the kid and she tries to get big text to you know she, she glamours him a little bit is is trying to get him to fuck her uh van helsing steps in and and gives her the cross in the face and she climbs into her coffin in reverse motion uh which is a pretty good effect i, I always like that stuff van helsing is like so here's the big stake now how about you ram this through her heart, Carrie Elways? And he's like, do I have to? And he's like, fuck yeah, you do. And so he does, and then blood goes everywhere, and then they cut off her head. We do what is a bit of a directorial joke here, which is when we see the head flying through the air, we do a quick cut to a big hunk of meat uh, slammed on the table as Van Helsing is in a restaurant dining with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. But you gotta think that in this scene in particular... All that Anthony Hopkins can think of is, I'm really slumming it here. Yeah, and he's strangely humorous in this film. Uh, this movie is absent of humor up until he shows up. And just the delivery of his lines, he could probably could have done it differently where it wasn't as funny. But he speaks about cutting off heads and right. hunting vampires in such a, a cavalier flippant way. It's, it's very entertaining, but it really feels out of place. It does, but for a movie that has so little humor that it, it shouldn't come from this character, I agree. I still find it funny when, you know, like Mina asks him, or was she in pain? 
He's like, yeah, yeah, she was in pain. And then we drove a stake through her heart and cut off her head, and now she's fine. <laughs> right. I mean, that's funny, but you're right. It, it shouldn't come from that character. Or he should have been in the movie more. The thing is, his character is delighted to be hunting a vampire. Like, it's what he's always wanted. If you're going to do that with that character, you should lean into that a bit more. And like I, I said, and we've, we've glossed over a lot of it. But all of this romantic stuff between Mina and Dracula is the stuff that is least interesting. I think that there is something to be said for fan fictioning this movie up to, to have her truly be in love with Jonathan Harker, but strangely obsessed with Dracula and, and you know, for the fucking reasons. And that's more in line with kind of what the novel does, uh, some would argue unintentionally, where it the thesis of the novel seems to be that the sort of conservative view of love and sexuality being this sort of blind devotion to the you know blind christian devotion to a husband is uh i did quotey fingers there for no good reason sorry <laughs> that is the thing that is true and meaningful and this sexual obsession that the character has with dracula is the thing that is less yeah i mean it's it's not spiritual there's no satisfaction in it it's just carnal and whereas this movie seems to be taking the opposite point of view which is no 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 it's the carnality that is significant and meaningful and her relationship to her husband and her friends and that kind of thing like the thing she shares most in common with lucy is that they're both kind of horned up and it just uh, it doesn't really work in this movie for all the things i love about this film which are like i, I think gary oldman's performance is great and i think that it's it, it's stylish sometimes to a fault but i really love the gothic look of it all once you start digging into well what is this movie about out. And it seems like this where, like, you know, Van Helsing doesn't behave that the way that you kind of need Van Helsing to behave in this movie, where it starts to feel like the whole thing is a little bit hollow. Those are all valid points. Following up the next scene is that, you know, Jonathan tells Van Helsing, he's like, like, whoa, I know where he totally sleeps. And then Mina... And Van Helsing's, you know, gang of vampire hunters all go to Carfax Abbey. And I don't know the geography of this, but like, so Waitsfield is screaming out of a nearby building. So I don't know if Carfax Abbey is right beside the Insanatorium. <laughs> the Giggle Factory, I think is the proper name. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Uh, Feelgood takes Mina to be safe in his quarters inside the asylum because, of course, where would you want to hide from a, a vampire and feel safe but inside a 19th century mental institution? Once they get inside, Waitsfield tells Mina, you know, that the master's coming for her. And then Dr. Feelgood, he takes Mina to his office and he tells her that if, if she wants, that she can use the toiletries, you know, in case she needs to take a shit or something. <laughs> Do you need to defecate dear is it number one or number two do you need to void your bowels love we do a lot of that here at the institute uh are you blocked in any way are you based on the amount of morphine this guy's shooting up i don't think he's taking a shit in six months it's probably why he's talking to her about it he's envious <laughs> as shit oh what it must be like to move your bowels <laughs> we come back to our vampire hunters and uh they all enter carfax abbey which is uh where dracula is and there are these boxes of experimental earth laying about or up in the rafters is this vampire man creature he looks like like uh, a hairless version of Batman's nemesis, Man Bat. Uh huh. And he just kind of flies off. And then uh, Dracula turns into a green fog and then goes and kills Waitsfield, which. Well, but the reason he does 
this is because, once again, Tom Waits shows up in this movie long enough to be awesome. Because there's the scene with him and Mina where he's like, oh, you know, the the master has mocked you. And he tells her to, go, to flee. He's like, you need to get the fuck out of here because he's after you. This scene would be much more impactful if she didn't know that and hadn't been making out with him for the past 45 minutes in this movie. But for him to say, like, no, 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 he wants your soul. And I pray I never see your sweet face again. And asks her, by the way, Tom Waits does a much better English accent than either Winona Ryder <laughs> or Keanu Reeves. <laughs> You hear Tom Waits talk. It's like he grew up in an ashtray and, and does a convincing uh, impression. But at any rate, yeah, he shows up to tell her to get the fuck out of there. And that's why Dracula is going to kill him. Because the reason that he was acting all crazy is because he wanted to be turned into a vampire. And instead, uh, but, it, but it made him go cray cray. Another scientific term that you hear from Dr. Seward in the film. Right. Dracula shows up to kill him because he has betrayed him by trying to convince mina to run away from him mina who by the way has just gotten married and is is ghosting dracula even as we speak well dracula then goes to see mina while, while she's in the bed and then things get all creepy sexy because mina starts smooching on what is now young dracula and then he puts her hand on his heart and she feels that she has that he has no heartbeat and then she freaks out as a, a rational human being would and she asks what he is and he says that he's nothing he's soulless he's hated and feared and he says i'm dead to the world i'm a monster he says i'm dracula and it's just like you know don't be so down on yourself you know, you got a lot of good things going on. Look, I've had some bad relationships, and <laughs> I, I haven't felt good about my decisions in a long time. I, I've really started to second guess. Yeah, Mina starts screaming, and she's like, you murdered Lucy! And she's really angry, but we all see where this is going, because she's like, but I love you. <laughs> Can you make these into diamonds real quick? Yeah, right, right. Look, I, I'm I'm really looking to get a second home. Uh, so if you could just, you know, give it the old dink a dink a do on these tiers, I think we're set for life. How do you think I made my fortune? But yeah, it, and this is arguably the worst line in the film. Where uh, he's like, he finally is like, I can't do this to you, even though you're telling me that you want to get down and, and become a vampire with me and spend eternity with me. He's like, I just, I love you too much to do that to you because I'm cursing you with this horrible, bloodthirsty urge. And that's where we get the, take me away from all this death and when he hears that, Gary Oldman responds as if she just grabbed his dick, where he just like throws his head back. It's like, oh, that's what I've been waiting to hear. She takes a one syllable word, death, and turns it into like a four or five syllable word. She's like, take me away from all this death. It reminded me of that kid uh, was like, like, my name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. <laughs> like... How did you do that? That was amazing. What I think of is there's a scene from the uh, very good movie Postcards from the Edge where Gene Hackman as a director is showing uh, Meryl Streep's character some scenes that she she did while she was on pills. And, and she's clearly kind of fucking up the scenes that they're watching. And he tells her that's as good as it got. And it was uh, it was never that good again. And that's how I feel about this. Like, at what point did Coppola just throw up his hands and just be like, <laughs> fine, 
If that's the way you're going to say it, that's the way you're going to say it. Clearly, you just don't care. Or maybe you care too much. It, it is another dead stop in this movie for me where I'm just like, ugh, this is such a terrible... It's not that great a line, and there's no reason to stress it the way that this movie does. But it is backed up with one of my favorite parts of the movie where after, you know, she drinks some of his blood and he drinks some of hers and it's a real uh, bloody fuck fest. And then the vampire hunters bust in and are like, hey, 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 break it up in here. And Dracula backs in... Like, like it turns into a bat creature and makes one of the like the cross catch fire and then backs into a corner and turns into a pile of rats that run away and what meanwhile mina is moaning unclean i'm unclean and i think all that stuff works great like that's a good dracula scene yeah there should have been a lot more of that yes Yes, that is my point. Like, this is the the stuff that this movie should have been doing all along. It should have been doing the wolf humping and the uh, the man bat stuff and that kind of thing a lot more than the, let's go watch an erotic film. Let's watch black and white <laughs> pornography and eat peanuts. Would you like to pet the big dog? Yeah, all that stuff is stupid. It is the uneven nature of this movie where it's like, hey, you know what's awesome? Him turning into a, a glowing-eyed pile of rats that freaks everybody out when when they run away. And Van Helsing is like, catch the rats! Like, get all those rats, we'll kill them! Mina's barefoot in this scene, and she kind of bounces from, from, you know, foot to foot. Like, she's in some Tom and Jerry cartoon when she sees all the rats. I'm like, that's what, that's what made you freak out? Like, through this whole series of events? Like, ooh! Van Helsing says he wants to hypnotize Mina, which takes... Literally seven seconds to put her under. Sure. And then she tells Van Helsing that Dracula is on his way back to his home by way of ship. And at this point, I was just like, this movie will not end. It is it just <laughs> it just feels like it's dragging on and on. Like just end this already. So our three vampire hunters jump on a train because they want to beat Dracula back to his home. And they throw up a map of Europe because let's be honest, Americans don't know European geography at all. They barely know American geography. And there's all this detail on how Count Dracula is making headway and he's getting there faster and they're going to have to cut him off. And it's just like, just fucking get there already. Where is this going? Another problem with this is there's a lot of, and then we thought we had him, but he took a different train and then he got off here. And get there. I don't care. Well, and that stuff works in the book because you're reading the you know this journal of like oh we almost had him and he's you know he slipped right through our fingers that crafty vampire and in this movie it's like no 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 you don't need any of this just say hey we're running behind we're behind him so we have to chase him to the borgo pass if you're not gonna show it which they don't do they're just saying like oh and then he gave us the slip which by the way is it's a stupid plot point even in the book of like oh the vampire is one step ahead of us he's playing chess and we're playing checkers kind of stuff he's sleeping in a box of dirt right and it's just it's these gypsies that he's got that are doing all the heavy lifting for this and i'm sure he's like hey what if we take a shortcut and they're like yeah yeah we got it don't worry dracula you just sleep in your box and we'll we'll handle this somehow van helsing and mina get to the castle ahead of everybody and it's covered in snow right why didn't they go with them i don't know at this point i was just like like just please end this movie mina starts getting all uh, feisty as she's becoming a vampire and van helsing just rubs his temples as she screams and rise around and i think this was just anthony hopkins responding to winona Ryder's performance like i was just like like oh my god this is awful <laughs> it's stunned silence yeah 
Vampire Mina then starts smooching on Van Helsing and he sucks on her nipple, which gross. Mina tries to bite Van Helsing and he pushes her back with a communion wafer, I believe. Yeah. And then he creates a holy circle of fire for protection. Then the three brides of Dracula show up and then they kill Van Helsing's horses, which, you know... When you're hungry, you're hungry. You'll eat almost anything. And then Van Helsing gets payback for the dead horses by chopping off the heads of the bride. So take that, you know, topless wenches. Dracula is, he's racing to get to the castle before sunset, which you're like, oh man, if he can get there before sunset, when the sun goes down, he gets his superpowers and everybody's going to be fucked, right? Right. This is what's going to happen. And our three vampire hunters are in hot pursuit. Mina gets up and she starts summoning blue circles to control the wind because now that she's a vampire, she can do that. That's a thing that Dracula tells her is that when you're a vampire, you can control the, the storms. And this is her exercising that power to help Dracula by summoning this big blizzard as the vampire hunters are chasing the carriage uh, of gypsies and Dracula through the Borgo Pass and it, they're kind of shooting back and forth. In theory, this should be, all be very exciting, <laughs> but somehow isn't. You took the words out of my mouth. That it, it is. Everything about this should feel dramatic and suspenseful. We have a race against time. They're shooting. There's all, And as you're watching it, it's just yawn. I don't care. Please just end your movie. Dracula's carriage and the vampire hunters all reach the castle. The vampire hunters do battle with Dracula's gypsy henchmen. Big Tex gets stabbed. There's a sword fight somewhere in there. There's a bunch of knife play and some gun play. And then the gate close mina can't get inside but she just walks around the gate so what the hell are the gates there in the first place and then as soon as the the sun goes down dracula boom pops out of his earth box he's ready to kick ass but then jonathan just slits his throat and big tech stabs him in the heart with a knife so yeah it, it's kind of a bummer because the expectation is once the the sun goes down and in fact there's these dramatic shots of like oh the sun's almost down here's some more fighting oh look the sun's down a little further it's oh we're so close dracula's really about to turn loose and when it, yeah when he gets out he doesn't really do shit and then just gets stabbed for his trouble everybody's like fuck that did we kill him that was easy it's Mila time have we been making a bigger deal about this than we should have been did you see all those shots of the sun going down was that a thing should that <laughs> is the sun down yeah look at my watch look there's no sun i'll be goddamned and they're about to take care of it and mina is like get back i'll do this you bunch of pussies <laughs> and inexplicably jonathan has this like insight into this situation where she's like hey um i guess she really loves him and in some bullshit american werewolf in london thing only someone who loves a vampire can kill a vampire or something oh so she drags him into the castle and that's the point where she looks around she was like oh this is where we're gonna live huh. <laughs> boy the pain of you that is something uh, so how do I kill you again? He's like, you know, go ahead and finish it. And so she kills his like old man face and then stabs him. Before she completely stabs him, he says, it is finished. And when I heard that, I was like, you know what? Just stop it. What are you doing? <laughs> right. God forgives Dracula for no good reason. <laughs> oh, the sun falls on him or the light falls on him. It's like, you are now one of God's children again. It's like, why? I looked at it more like, 
he, he turned back into a real boy or something. Or, <laughs> or it was just God shining a light on like, look, asshole, I told you what was going to happen. <laughs> so Mina's there with Dracula and he asks Mina to give him peace. And she just slams the knife deep in his chest. And then Dracula dies. And we know this because his eyes roll back in his head. And again, it would have been more clear to me if he'd stuck his tongue out to one side. But again, a little, a little dribble of blood. Blood comes out of the corner of his mouth. And then here's the best part. Mina kisses him. She takes the knife out of his chest, lops off his head, a move I did not see coming. Roll credits. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I do like the fact that once this, this movie takes far too long to wrap up, but once it wraps up, it's fucking out. Um, <laughs> I, I do like that. But if you notice, there's a moment where after Keanu Reeves, we hadn't really talked about it, but... His mo- his hair throughout the movie, like every time he runs into a vampire, his hair gets a little whiter. Until by the end of the movie, he, he's like... He's just B. Arthur. <laughs> I was going to say Steve Martin, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the last shot when he's like, whoa, everybody, just let Mina do what she needs to do. His hair is black again. And I can't tell if that's a mistake or if it's some bullshit <laughs> like, no, 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 he has made peace now. Like, I have seen... <laughs> I've seen things that would turn your shit white, uh, as Ernie Hudson once said, um, that once he has come to terms with that, that his hair goes back to normal color. Like, none of it made any sense. Yeah, that's it. The movie is over after Keanu Reeves' hair goes back to its normal color. Mina cuts off Dracula's head and roll credits with uh, really loud music. So let me ask you this, Bo. You have seen a lot of Dracula movies. Now put aside vampire movies. I just want Dracula movies. Uh-huh. Okay. Of all the Dracula movies that you've seen, if you had to recommend one, you've already said you don't care for the Bela Lugosi one, which I think is fantastic because of what it is and what it represents. Question to you is of all of the Dracula films, if you had to pick one and say, if you want to watch a Dracula movie, watch this Dracula movie, which one do you pick? Aside from the Bugs Bunny versus Dracula. Clearly, that's the seminal portrayal. Um, (laughs) Here's the thing. There has never been a perfect adaptation of Dracula that I think uniformly you can say this is the one you should watch. I do like the Frank Langella Dracula quite a bit. I think that that's that's pretty good. And it has a, a really good Dracula death i'm a big fan of if you want to go to the hammer stuff dracula has risen from the grave and it honestly if you've never seen it you owe it to yourself to see the fw murnau nosferatu film uh which is maybe the best adaptation of the dracula story um, in a lot of ways, it has some of the most iconic horror imagery ever, uh, ever put to film. And a quick note about that. You mentioned that, that film in your, uh, in the upfront about how that movie was banned, you know, and all the, the copies burned. All of the copies that we have of Nosferatu come from, I, it's either one or two copies of the original reels that were smuggled out of Germany. Every copy you've ever seen of Nosferatu comes from one or two sources and, and, and not because they were all destroyed. I don't know. What about you? Are, are, are you, do, do you have a Dracula film that you enjoy? I also like the animated series Duckula. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But uh, but I, I do, in general, I like a good vampire movie. I just don't think there are as many as as a lot of people seem to think. I think, I'll tell you a good vampire movie. I think the original Salem's Lot, the one that Toby Hooper directed for CBS in the, like, 1980, uh, I think is a really good vampire flick. If I had to pick a, a Dracula movie, I would go with the original Bela Lugosi. And as a vampire film... Um, I think the original let the right one in, which is more about, you know, preteen, Ooh. preteen adolescence as opposed to, I mean, it's, it's also a vampire film as well. But when I look back on vampire movies that I've seen watching that movie, it dealt with a lot of the complicated issues of eternal life and how you deal with death and the relationships between vampires and humans as both their protectors as well as being the ones who would hunt humans to to sustain their own lives but um i enjoyed re-watching bram stoker's dracula and just sort of appreciating it um with a few years uh behind me and yeah it was good yeah it's one of those things if, if you've never seen bram stoker's dracula there's plenty to enjoy about it. It, it there's always that asterisk with this movie of like some of the performances aren't great some of the themes don't resolve themselves very well it is beautiful to look at it just doesn't linger the way that it, it should. The bombastic nature of it uh, certainly informs another movie we'll talk about on this season where it seems like they took the mold of this one of like, hey, you know how everything was turned to 11? What if we do that for other movies? Speaking of which, we can uh, let's talk about uh, episode two of this season uh, where we will be looking at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, starring and directed by Kenneth Branagh and featuring Robert De Niro as the creature. Um, again, another motion picture that is attempting to do a faithful interpretation of classical source material. However, this particular film fails in ways that this movie couldn't even begin to imagine. But in other ways, <laughs> I think it succeeds in ways that this movie um, certainly does not. So come back next week and we will be uh, talking through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as we continue this season of Monsters Are Universal.